Welcome everybody to episode 92 of Dorchains. Yes, we are closing that little bit closer to, to 100, so you never know when we'll see it. Um, right, so for this week, it's a slightly different episode because um, I don't have a composer on the show. Um, I have somebody who works in the industry, yes, um, and has a lot of knowledge around it, but not a composer. So this will be the same as our previous guest, Dara, who is, again, not a composer. So I will let them introduce themselves. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm Jamie Smith. I've been working in the games industry for about 13 years uh, up to this point, and that's mostly in a de design capacity. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm not necessarily on the audio side. I'm more on the gameplay kind of rules, systems, behaviors. Uh, I mainly work with kind of gunplay, weapons, kind of characters, designs, and so on. Um, but mostly anything to do with a moment-to-moment -moment kind of game feel when you pick up the pad uh, of any kind of game, that's typically what I'm kind of involved in. And during those 13 years, that's been a range from the Call of Duty franchise, uh, FIFA, so that was working for Activision and, um, and Electronic Arts. And then earlier in my career, working for Ubisoft and the Division, uh, the Crew and uh, the Driver franchise. That was my first game straight out of university. Oh, so you've, you've done quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, up until this point, yeah, I've, I've been pretty fortunate. It's pretty good for somebody from the northeast. Uh, but yeah, th there's a good, um, th there's a good kind of industry up here as well. There's mm. lots of kind of older studios where people used to work for Midway. Midway had a northeast kind of studio, and there's lots of people that have that kind of heritage. So there's lots of studios locally, but some of them are now defunct. But that knowledge has now, you know, moved to other people that still still remain. Yeah, and do you find uh, one thing I I noticed in the you know, things happen, studios close for whatever reason. Um, people move around a lot. Yeah, I mean, it can, it, it can depend. Sometimes it, I would say it probably comes in cycles. Unfortunately enough, or unfortunately enough, I've been games for 13 years now that I'm starting to see another cycle come around. So the first time uh, when I first joined the industry, you had a situation where if a game wasn't necessarily that successful, that could mean the difference between the studio kind of closing or that that franchise kind of not seeing the light of day kind of anymore. And in the meantime, you're starting to get more, um, you know, post-launch live ops kind of games, you know, games as a service, that kind of stuff. But then now you're starting to see kind of the opposite is true again, where, you know, certain things are happening in the industry and there's not many new kind of IPs coming out, the ones that are coming out or reinvigorating a franchise is not necessarily that successful and it starts to get that kind of cycle kind of going again. But it's unfortunate and it, it's hard to hear, especially from a lot of the studios recently, you know, Volition kind of included. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, in, in some ways, it, it I suppose it does come in cycles because I'd seen this, you know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And that's difficult, especially for everybody involved, you know. Um, I'm... Because the way you've now brought it up is basically because obviously I'm based in Leeds, um, and I love my little you know slice of life, and I don't think I could you know kind of uproot everything and everybody around around the country all the time. Just something I definitely wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, I, I mean the the interesting thing about that though is is that again maybe ten years ago your choice would be uh, to to physically move, you know, like you said, uproot, move to a totally mm. different location. However, since the pandemic. And for a lot of studios, most places, well, maybe not most places, but a large number of places now are either remote or kind of hybrid. 
and they can't necessarily expect somebody to emigrate to America or people from the US to come to the UK or kind of Europe. Um, so that that's probably been the other change is that there's more opportunities in the sense that the jobs market, the pool has kind of increased because opportunities are now available that weren't available previously, you know, unless you move to America, for example. Yeah. I mean, when you take that example and you look at things like both the two Ori games, they don't have a physical studio. They're just hundreds of people that work around the world. It's yeah, yeah. Brilliantly bonkers, but it works for them. You know, look how absolutely phenomenal the Ori games are. Yeah, I mean, that, that, the, the second one, especially, it's good you mentioned it, that, that second one was probably one of my favorites, you know, just on the audio topic, you know, if it, it touch upon that, that, that final boss fight, I, I had the same headphones that I've got on now. That, that was probably my favorite, most memorable boss fight of the last five years or so. I would say 90% of that was down to the music and making the game feel much bigger than it actually was. But it's super surprising that that's made by a team that isn't even in the studio. You know, maybe the audio person might have had a recording booth or something in their house or however they managed to kind of do that stuff. But nobody would have guessed that that was made remotely. Well, I'll tell you a story. Um, Ori and the Will Wisps will forever have a huge piece of my heart because um, obviously I've had Gareth Coker on the show before. I've had him a couple of times. Um, really lovely gentleman. Um, obviously super talented. You know, um, before the pandemic, back in 2019, he uh, invited me to London uh, to see something being recorded. And, you know, I can put two and two together. So I went down yep. and it was recording Ari and the Will the Wisps. And I got, he, he said, like, you got the best day. Uh, it was Thursday and got, Loads of action sequences in um, the bit with the sand snake. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. going through the sand, you got to swim through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moira the spider. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. It's got the uh, it's got the bubble kind of sound effects that the spider mm. sounds like a sponge. Yeah. That's cool. And the big, um, big frog thing as well. Um, it was, I've never seen anything like it. You know, watching somebody who's so as talented as Gareth working in the way that he does in air studios of all places, which is absolutely beautiful, you know, and you think of all the games and all the people that were recorded there is bonkers. Um, and great food. But, that's <laughs> but that was really special to be able to stood there. You know, there's points where I listen now, even now, you know, to the soundtrack. And I'm like, I get to a bit and I'm like, I was in the room for that bit. I was yeah. literally stood in the room with all these players. Obviously, I was pressed against the wall and couldn't breathe, but I was there. Um, so it's got a really, really special place in my heart. You know? Ah, that's cool. You, you should have tried to get a, you know, some kind of something in the mix. You know, a quick exhale or a quick shout or something. See, see if you can get your get your voice in it. That'd be cool. It's amazing what soundtracks can do um, to a game. You know, that really make a game sometimes. Well, um, yeah. there's so many games like that out there now, you know, um, including, you know, stuff that I've worked on, credited on, um, that really kind of shaped the game and how it's almost developed to a degree. Do you find that? Have you found that over the years working on stuff that you've worked on? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely depends on what the type of the project is. But even that right. one, I mean, obviously, I didn't work on Ori, but that, that, the oh. thing I mentioned earlier is that the audio and that elevate it in the sense that it makes it feel like it's a much bigger world than what the 2D kind of, you know, visuals actually portray. And that, that's a really big one. We, we did something similar on The Division. That That's a game, third-person game, but it's built in, New, shown in New York but you can't necessarily access every single street or every single area of New York. And the audio is done in such a way that you can hear things in the distance. That means that a modeler or an artist or an animator doesn't necessarily need to create that stuff. It's just the sensation of it kind of sounding like it's there makes the world feel bigger than itself. That's a really good one. And then the other ones just in kind of some other games, it's sometimes it's the difference between, you know, having a microphone on the outside of a car engine versus on the inside, you know, it makes it feel like you are right in with the nuts and bolts and kind of the mechanics of the car, which on the outside of that might just be you getting the sounds of the exhaust or the muffled kind of engine. So yeah, the, the combination of those two can really expand the kind of soundscape, but also you can get right down into the nitty gritty kind of nuts and bolts of whatever the mechanics of, you know, the particular thing you're trying to portray. And you've worked on some phenomenal games. Um, like Cuphead. Chris Madigan's score for that is just bonkers. You know, um, I couldn't, you could never imagine things like Cuphead or Ari to have this, a different standard to what they already have. How was working on Cuphead? Well, unfortunately, I, I didn't work on Cuphead, but I did manage to meet some of those folks, you know, just like you said, you met, um, mm. you, you know, j just from some of the composers. On, on that particular project, that was a ch chatting to some of the team mm -hmm. and their animation kind of side and some of the mm -hmm. things that they were doing in kind of gameplay. And uh, I was mapping out their progression and their difficulty across the game and how it kind of peaks and troughs. Mm -hmm. And you get the same thing with the music in the game as well, where, you know, on some levels, it's a bit more mellow. Some levels, it's a bit more upbeat. You get the kind of the big brass band, you know, kind of yeah, punctuating yeah, yeah. throughout. But, uh, you know, when you come across those kind of games and, you know, I've looked at a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, I've chatted yeah. to the team kind of directly. So you've kind of been they're, assisting they're just them. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. I've just been on the sidelines. You know, I wasn't necessarily on the project. I mean, that that was a team that's based in, I think, the states or kind of Canada. They're definitely across the other side of the Atlantic. But you know, j just chatting to some of those folks, and especially when they've been to some kind of festivals, that they're, they're really interested in just conveying that authenticity of that particular era, and then doing it in such a way that it brings it to the kind of the forefront. So you see that in the animations, where the animations are looped in such a way that you can ramp up and down. The difficulty of projectiles but also that could be used to ramp up and down the audio that you hear with those associated kind of projectiles so it creates that kind of you know unique effect uh but yeah unfortunately uh, the, the closest i got to working on that was just chatting to the team <laughs> and um and did you have a part in hood as well yeah yeah so that that that's one um it came out a couple of years ago now just 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 at the start of the pandemic and that was a, a third person uh, medieval style game where the idea is that you're playing a, a band of kind of merry men sneak into a castle steal some gold and then you kind of escape yeah. but there is also another opposing team that's trying to do the same objective as you and, and the castle itself you know where the gold is that's guarded by various kind of medieval knights and you know a big game of thrones kind of style characters and things um but th the main takeaway from that one was that we were working on bow and arrow kind of mechanics and the sensation you know when it comes to audio when most people think of a bow and arrow what they think of is you know a couple of sticks of wood and some feathers and in real life you would never actually hear that stuff i mean even if you go in a forest and fire a bow 
you physically won't really hear the arrow kind of itself. And you might you might hear the twang of the you know the the the, the, the bow itself, but you won't necessarily hear the arrow. So in a game that's competitive, and knowing that you could potentially die in one or two shots. Uh-huh. knowing that there is an arrow coming towards you is pretty important. So we put a lot of emphasis on uh, making things much higher in the soundscape, making it sound like that you weren't necessarily firing an arrow, but you're firing something like a hammer. So when the arrow used to land next to you, the way I used to describe it is uh, the old Strongbow adverts that used to have uh, Johnny Vaughan in them, and the arrow used to land in the bar right next to him. That was almost the sample of the basis for where we wanted to go because it, it sounds like a sledgehammer. It doesn't sound like an arrow. Uh, but yeah, it also means that it feels more impactful when it kind of lands as well. Yeah. Um, I have been told to tell you this uh, by my best friend that she absolutely loves food. And, and nice. Yeah, it's, it's such a great game. I really enjoy playing it as well. And I'm not massively kind of those kind of games and just... For me, it was just fantastic. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, I mean, just in general, I chat to a few people, you know, just from different studios and, you know, people I've worked with that really enjoyed, especially the bone arrow mechanics. But mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up particular, and especially hearing that kind of feedback is great as well, because at the time you had pretty big, high-profile, what you'd consider bone arrow games, The Last of Us, Horizon, and Tomb Raider, which had multiple kind of iterations. And on the topic of Tomb Raider, I had worked previously with uh, Pete Conley, and Pete Conley did all the soundtracks for the original kind of Tomb Raiders. I used to work with him at Ubisoft. But again, that that, that feedback's always great to hear. Uh, I really enjoyed that project in general. And with the work that you do, how much kind of input kind of or conversation do you have with the kind of composers or the audio people? Yeah, um, it, it depends on the team makeup. but uh, So normally, um, I'd be part of what would be considered a feature team. So a feature team is working on something specific, and you are multidiscipline. So I'm a designer, but I might be working with an animator, a programmer, an audio person, an interface person, an animator, and so on. And when I say feature, the bow example that we said earlier, that would be a feature, or the character, or a car, or wherever it may be. And then working with them, in general, Audio people are probably some of my favorite people to, to work with across all projects. I've never, firstly, I've never had a bad experience ever working with anybody in audio. But secondly, they they elevate things in such a way that you can take something that's a basic idea, let's say a gun, and they can add some audio to it, and the gun feels like it's dealing double damage, but everything is exactly the same. The only thing that's changed is maybe the sound effect. You know, instead of using a stock sound they've replaced it with something kind of more final or more representative. And that's always been pretty cool. And the other one that people don't often chat about is uh, I have this kind of weird niche that I've been working on for the past 12 years or so, which is that I've been involved in haptics and rumble on the gamepad over the last, you know, several generations, including the dual sense, the latest uh, gamepad. Typically that is something that is also around the audio department because a lot of the haptics that you're using, especially on the dual sense, not always, but can be derived directly from the audio themselves. So, you know, that would be me working with an audio person to kind of integrate that or to try and get them to give me a sample that I can kind of use as a basis, you know, for creating a certain sensation in the pad. That's amazing because I've got a PS5 and I think for me, kind of, a lot of times it's not really used. The haptics are not used. The only things I've really seen them being used in that I've played is Astrobot, um, his playroom, and then um, Ramble. 
yeah. Bramble uses it like the best I've ever seen it. It's phenomenal. They use microphone feedback, they use it for audio. It's so, so good. It's brilliantly done. And also, I don't know whether you've seen the trailer for Bramble. Oh, sorry. No, no. Oh, not the trailer. Um, there's a demo for Bramble, and the demo made me cry. Um, only ah, yeah. The audio is so good. There's a piece of music in the game, and you you hear it a couple of times. It's just beautiful. Apparently, it's an old, um, like, kids' song or kind of, you know, something like that. Um, but it's, I highly recommend Highly recommend Oh, yes. Yeah. I finished it. That sounds good. Mm. Yeah, I've, nice I've had a few people kind of recommending it. Yeah. yeah. But it's really nice to see audio being used in that kind of way because a lot of times it's just not do you find yeah, that yeah well it, it's interesting because you know you go back a few years and there's kind of this joke that people say in the industry where they say you know you make the game and then don't worry we'll just slap the audio on kind of at the end and you, you've heard that in, in kind of previous conversations with composers and stuff of how how you know it used to be perceived and actually like for, for me it's one of if not the most important kind of discipline outside of maybe something like an animation, you know, because a floating kind of character that doesn't move, you know, you notice a big difference when there's a walk cycle, but it's, but it's also the same thing when you've got the audio and even those examples that you mentioned just about, you know, the games that aren't using the haptics kind of too much or the ones that kind of elevate that there's a couple of good tests that you can try in terms of the sensation of the experience. The, the first one is put some headphones on and then play a game that has some good haptics, just like you mentioned with Astrobot. Then after a few moments, put the headphones on mute or take them off and then just watch what the pad is kind of doing because the pad doesn't ever feel that great unless the audio is kind of you know uh, complementing that kind of feeling and vice versa. And it's the same is true in Returnal. The feeling that they get from a plausible alien kind of planet on the gamepad in isolation feels okay but with the audio, it kind of elevated to make it feel like you're in a completely different place. And and there's, there's some other kind of uses of that as well as uh, I don't think it's in the latest Last of Us and I'd have to try it because it's a previous gen. But um, they used to have this cool effect where there would be the audio from the lightning in the distance. And then two seconds later, you would get the rumble on the pad from the thunder or, or vice versa. You know, it would do that kind of thing. And it's just that kind of consideration for when audio gets implemented and then how it can amplify a certain feeling in the game, mm. it's not something that you can just slap in in the last two months of development and just hope, hit and hope. It's something that has to be done really well. And then the other one is um, there's a there's a really good game. Not everybody made like driving games, but this WRC9 is on PS5. And when, when people say they kind of, the absence of silence, uh, of, of sound or silence is deafening that kind of feeling, one of the things that they do is they have very, very harsh haptics on the gamepad, along with the audio, because you're it's a, it's a rally game, so you're driving across rough terrain, rough surfaces. But when you drive on tarmac, the audio and the haptics completely disappear, and it gives you the complete opposite sensation of what people would normally kind of expect. And sometimes that's another thing that's not kind of maintained enough as well as sometimes just a pause is pretty good or sometimes silence is, is just as, you know, kind of deafening. It, it, it just boggles my mind the amount of kind of work that goes into the audio for, for games and what people are doing, you know, and I introduced about Bramble and 
they were they were doing literally recording stuff and implementing it into the game two days before it was going out. You know, because they were like, yeah. I can't have the you know this one sound here and then not have it for the rest of it. So they have to go and record loads of things and put it back in. Just the tiniest little details. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's good. It's good for that stuff, but also it can depend on you know if it's a team's first time kind of doing that, or sometimes it might be you know if you think of something like Call of Duty, mm-hmm. they have whole systems that they've relied on that have been created over many years, so they have the almost like the slots the slots for the pegs to kind of plug into, and that's great. It's already exposed to audio designers; they can create new assets and kind of plug them in. However, if it, if it's a much smaller team, potentially even remote teams. It's their first project. It's a new IP. A lot of that stuff might not, that, that groundwork might not necessarily exist. So even just building that groundwork, which is not for the player's benefit, it's for the team's benefit. You know that that in itself is a you know significant investment as well. So you mentioned that you've been in the industry for like 12, 13 years now, and you you started on the driver series. And um, how, how different is it from then to now? working in the industry now and how different are you <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's a broad question just about the industry kind of side because um i think at that time i i joined that project towards the tail end um during production so in terms of kind of the phases that's the phase where everything is basically going into the game and you're trying to build out the city it's a big open world driving game you know there's already five cars in the game now we're looking to make it 50 there's already 10 areas in the game now we're making to look at you know 20 um so, so building out that kind of side but but in some ways that that's the kind of the painting by numbers what would you call kind of waterfall approach which is you know you start building a house and it takes you that long to build the foundation and it takes you several years to kind of get there that several other of your kind of competitors have leapfrogged you in that particular time because you took so long to build it. And when I say build it, it could be that you didn't want a house, you wanted a tent. You, you just wanted shelter from the elements, but you didn't necessarily need the giant kind of condo on the mountaintop. You just needed a quick shelter. So, so I think that's the thing that more and more studios are coming around to now which is more of an agile kind of approach. You don't you don't need a car. You just need something to get you from A to B faster. So will a skateboard do? Cool. Well, how quickly can we make a skateboard? If is that skateboard fun to use and so on? So I think I think more and more companies are coming around to that kind of way of thinking, but big established kind of franchises, they struggle to kind of get out that mindset. And then just on my side, I've just been fortunate enough to work with a bunch of people across the board who are not only extremely talented, but they're people that maybe six months, a year, a few years before I joined the industry, I was playing kind of all of their games. Um, When I first met Pete Conley, I I didn't know it was Pete Conley, but then I soon found out it was the guy who did all the Tomb Raider stuff. And then I ended up just talking to him all the time. And then uh, it was funny, the first time I'd met him was in Newcastle. We worked on the Driver franchise together. Uh, along with John Vincent. So John Vincent's audio director at uh, Rare at the moment. So he's been there for the past 10 oh, years. Wow. Uh, so, so, yeah. And then, and then uh, so, so those are two people they'd already worked on. Uh, I think John had worked on Conflict Desert Storm, which I really used to love. And then Pete had worked on the, the, the you know, the Tomb Raider franchise. And funnily enough, the next two times I saw them, uh, Pete, I was on a project working in Leon on another driving game. And I randomly came across him in a broom cupboard uh, because he was the audio director of that project. And he just had his own kind of mini office in there that I, I didn't even know he'd basically traveled to France, caught him in the middle of nowhere. 
And then, uh, you know, for, for John, I've only caught up with him kind of once or twice, but he's been working on Sea of Thieves and, you know, a bunch of stuff like Rare kind of since um, I last saw him was at football kind of tournaments, again, just randomly. Sea of Thieves is huge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and especially he, he's been on it, I think, near enough from the start. I don't, I don't know if he's on it anymore, but, uh, you know, he, he's basically been there since inception as, as far as I'm aware. So I know things have been slightly different over the last few years with the pandemic. How have you found, have, has that changed anything to you about how you work? You know, obviously you mentioned about remote working, etc. Has it changed anything for you? Uh, uh, kind of yes and no. So, so my previous roles before I'd, uh, so I was at Sumo Digital before People Can Fly. So I'm currently working at People Can Fly. And before Sumo, I'd been working for Electronic Arts remotely on the FIFA franchise. And that was a post-launch kind of live ops project yeah. while simultaneously working in another job in academia where a couple of days a week we could work from home. So the combination of those two things of kind of jugg juggling tasks to deadlines remotely at different times of day because uh, on the FIFA franchise, they're based in Canada. So it's kind of minus five hours. So knowing, you know, when they're going to be awake and stuff, I'd already had experience of that. And it was the same at Ubisoft. Ubisoft is a company that is cross studio, cross time zone kind of experience. Mm. Therefore, they're pretty much working remotely because a Newcastle studio could be working with Romania, could be working with Singapore and so on. So by the time it came around, it didn't affect me too much because I'd had that experience. But certainly, I would say there was a dip in kind of production as everybody's trying to get their kind of home equipment kind of set up. People now getting used to, you know, video calls exactly as well, kind of having how you communicate with each other, uh, the types of kind of conversations that you'd have randomly in the studio. Now they feel a little bit more forced because you're trying to tap somebody in the shoulder to ask them if you can ping them on Slack and so on. Uh, but in general, it hasn't really affected me too much personally, but but seeing how it's affected kind of projects as a whole, uh, it, it, it definitely there's been, you know, both positives and negatives. No, it, it, at the time when it when it kind of kicked off and lockdown started, um, I was actually working for an ISP. Oh, yeah. Yep. I've never seen it like that. It went absolutely crackers. We had to turn the phones off because at certain points because we just couldn't handle the sheer volume of calls that were coming in because people were calling yeah. in because you know they wanted to, like, to get their... Um, their highest internet, fastest internet they wanted, you know, and it was just like, oh my god. So yeah, hell. <laughs> yeah, especially with the demand going through the roof of you know typical kind of bandwidth for people as outside of companies. I don't know where it'll have been, but I imagine it probably went up kind of tenfold, you know, instantly. Like for there was every, times we every had over thousand people in the queue. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, just wasn't possible. You know, I'd sit in my little office and just watch the queue, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so you just had to turn, turn them off, you know? Yeah. We couldn't, we couldn't physically do anything better, you know? So, yeah, I mean... I mean it's it, it was hard enough just getting people's kind of equipment kind of home. And, you know, it, on, on that point, actually, it's interesting. I said the positives and negatives. Mm. But for some people... They they might get the benefit of um, maybe the, the commute is kind of easier for them. So for me, it used to be a 45 minute, 50 minute commute, you know, there and then, and then back. So maybe close to an hour and a half every day. But but some people used to rely on the studio because the studio had absolutely rapid 
you know, one one gigabyte internet and their home only had maybe 30 megabytes. So now they can do things in a fraction of the time or maybe it's a little bit unstable. Maybe they have a, a dodgy kind of Wi-Fi and, you know, even things like that, again, come back to audio. Yeah. I wouldn't say audio files are the biggest kind of files unless they're uncompressed. Okay. But but when but when you're getting thousands of things kind of coming through, that that starts to add up. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, like I work in an office, but I work from home three days a week now. And before I was given the option, I was like, I'll just come into the office every day; it's just easier. And now yeah. I'm like, yeah. I love my days off. I love my yeah. days off because hell is other people, quite frankly, um, on buses, you know. Because I don't drive, you know, and there's, yep. you know, not really parking at work as well. So um, it's buses into work and people are hell, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, I was saying to somebody else earlier on, I went out, not last Friday, but Friday before. Um, and well, I got the bus into town because I work at home on a Friday. So I got the bus into town after work. And there was three separate people on FaceTime with no headphones, the whole way in hell you know <laughs> in relation to kind of people and their behaviors on, on public transport we are regressing rapidly you know <laughs> i've seen people vaping you know the kids with their music on even though they've got headphones and it's like oh i hate it you know so i'm definitely yeah, going to start yeah. learning to drive again i think no, it, it definitely should. I mean, the the one thing I do I do find, especially with public transport, is more for um, Dave, even from a games point of view, is you know whether it be reviews or you said earlier, you know, they're not using headphones. That's exactly the one time where I would want to kind of tune in a lot more, especially mm-hmm. on the audio side, whether it be to yeah a, a, a soundtrack or maybe it's a a video about a particular game or something. But uh, yeah, to 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 have multiple people on FaceTime within a close proximity. <laughs> I, I don't know how you could have any kind of practical conversation. No, um, but soon it's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I asked, normally I ask this kind of towards the end of an interview, um, and I'm going to ask you as well anyway, um, and I am well aware of this industry and NDAs, etc. but is there anything exciting that you're working on that you're, or something that you're working on that you're really excited about, talk about? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the only things I can say, I mean, I, I find with a lot of people, it's, it's how, how do you worm out the way of the NDA kind of question. But, uh, but, but in general, I, I currently work for People Can Fly, and on People Can Fly's website, there is a whole bunch of information about the projects that are currently out in the open in terms of uh, there's not a whole load of information. I don't want to say too much in case I get it wrong, but if anybody goes on to that, just the, uh, you know, there's a strategy, a company strategy document and that represents all of the stuff that's currently in progress. Um, the one that has been announced most recently, uh, but I'm not involved in it, is uh, Bulletstorm VR. So I think they're doing oh, that uh, soon enough. Yeah, I yeah. I have to play that. That would be absolutely yeah. awesome. I couldn't believe when that dropped. I watched the, I watched the trailer and I was like, you know. Yeah, it's great. Oh, oh. I think the, yeah. the current iteration of PSVR 2 is phenomenal. It's just, it's unfortunate because, like, I had the day off today, as I mentioned to you earlier, and um, I would love to have been able to sit there and play some VR, but it's just, it's like 20 or something degrees out. I, I can't sit there and slap that on my head for, for an hour. 
know yeah exactly and that that's one thing you have to consider as well as you know when when you say about the weather but for different kind of platforms different devices if you're going to hear something i mean again bringing it back to audio if you're going to hear something kind of hundreds of thousands of times it needs to sound good if you're only going to hear something for 15 or 20 minutes with a vr headset on your on on your head probably not kind of a big deal but it also depends on a you know what's the type of experience you're going for a mobile game is going to be 30 seconds long how do you make the audio and that as impactful as a 20 minute call of duty match versus you know a 7 hour session on kind of world of warcraft with or without a vr headset with or without headphones with or without v5.1 kind of setups and so on but, uh, yeah but but unfortunately for me is that i get really motion sick with vr Oh, really? But that would be my perfect. Yeah, yeah, I, I get really bad with it, unfortunately. And some people say you just got to persevere. But if I only had a you know a couple of hours free in a day, mm-hmm. to to have a bad experience for those first twenty minutes is not worth the suffering for the remaining kind of hour and a half. Yeah, I mean I'm all right with it. I can't bank all of the mental, and I don't have an issue with high trending, but it makes me sweat. It's oh, just yeah. because you're climbing up on these tiny little ledges and going across these little ropes and then you have to jump across things and it's like, <laughs> But really, come back to the kind of mobile stuff that you mentioned. Um, I interviewed um, Sarah Pakula recently, um, very receptive to go. Um, she did the soundtrack for a mobile game called Merge Mansion. And actually, that was my most played album of last year. On Spotify. Oh, nice! It's an That's cool. absolute, if I, I recommend it to anybody. Married Mansion, such a fantastic little um, soundtrack, and it's gloriously adorable. Oh, nice. Oh, that, that that's cool. I've I've not listened to that. My my go to is uh the Demon Souls remake soundtrack, but specifically uh Maiden of As- Astria, I think I think she's called a terrible boss fight, but amazing soundtrack. I think it's one of the best boss themes, but but the fight itself is a little bit underwhelming. Right. Last thing to do is just say massive thank you to to you for being on the show. Um it's a real honor. And best of luck with everything that's coming out. And everything in the future. Oh, th- thanks very much again. Th- cheers for chatting. And uh, yeah, I always listen in my morning walks. So yeah, k- keep it up. Thank you.